So if you guys can, go ahead, turn your Bibles to Joshua. We're going to look at Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. And I'm going to read Joshua chapter 24, and I'm going to look at verses 14 and 15, and then I'm going to pray. And God's word reads, Now therefore... Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you, Lord God, that you have chosen us this day as your people to be able to worship you, Lord. And Father, I pray that we would have a teachable heart, God, that you would open our ears to hear your truth, and Lord, that your people will be built up. God, I am reminded of Paul's words when he said, who was sufficient for these things. And God, I know that I am not sufficient to transform or to do anything apart from your grace and apart from your spirit. And so, Lord, I do pray that you, by your spirit, will speak through me, Lord, that nothing would be of me, and Lord, to be faithful to the text and to be faithful to your word. And God, we ask that you would have your way, and Lord, we give you glory, and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. I'm reminded of, you know, normally around January time, that's the time when we have resolutions. We want to have this sense of being resolved. And one of the things that people talk about the most as far as about, about being resolved is, well, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to get ripped. I'm going to do all that I can to look my best this year. And I used to work as a personal trainer for over 10 years. And sure enough, every January, you have these very enthusiastic people. They come in, they want to work out. And in the first couple of weeks, they're going in it and they're going for it. By about that third week, it's like, well, I can't do five. It's five days a week. I'm going to go down to four. Then next thing, you know, it's three. And maybe a month and a half, two months in, they're not there anymore. But yet they're still paying their gym dues. But not any of you guys in here. <laughs> Resolve. And that's one of the things that I'm going to talk about today, about having a sense of um, resolution. Um, I have titled this Resolve to Enter God's rest. You see, this text serves as a, an example, an illustration for your resolve to enter into um, God's presence or to enter into God's rest. Now, also, when I'm talking about being resolved, it's not trivial. Yeah, we, we can say that working out, it's, it's a good thing. The Bible even says it's profitable, but it doesn't have an eternal ramification. If there, there isn't anything that I'm going to gain eternally. So when we talk about being resolved or having this desire to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, we have to have a 
uh, number, our number one desire to be pleasing to the Lord. And because of that desire, that is going to keep us going. That's going to keep us resolved in order to live a life that will be pleasing to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, and this is exactly what Joshua is commanding the Israelites. God had brought them to this place where they are to, in a sense, have this rest. They are, uh, it has been concluded, their, their wilderness wanderings, the, the battles and everything that they have to fight. They are coming into this place of rest. And he is saying, essentially, you are to be resolved to live for the glory of God. I think many of you have heard of Jonathan Edwards, and he had 70 resolutions. And the number one resolution that he would say is that any and everything that I do, I want to do it for the glory of God. If I have a meal, it's going to be for the glory of God. The interaction that I have with people, whether they're believers or unbelievers, I want it to be for the glory of God. And ultimately, that should be our desire as well. Ultimately, we want to live for the glory of God. But there's also the reason why I want to live that out, and that is eternity of what is ahead. And so what's going on here in Joshua, again, is that Joshua was used by God to bring the people of God into the land and to fulfill the very promises that God had given them. If you were to divide this book in half, the first 12 chapters, it's about conquering the promised land. In the latter half, the 13 through 24, it is the division of the land, using or giving this land or dispersing this land to the 12 tribes of Israel who were going to be scattered in this particular place. But also, we have to understand that there is this theme of rest that has taken place with Israel. And I've kind of touched on that, but I just want to point out um, a couple of texts to um, hopefully convince you that they were in this place of rest. And if you can, please turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy chapter 12. If you know the book of Deuteronomy, it is a restatement. Moses, it's basically a sermon. He is recapping everything that God has done. And because of the disobedience of the first generation of Israel, they were not able to enter into the land. So now Moses is talking to that second generation. And he's saying, you're about to go into the land. Now Moses, unfortunately, was not able to go because of his disobedience that you see um, I believe it's in Numbers chapter 20. But he's saying that Joshua is going to take you in. And so he says here in chapter 12, verse 9, he says, For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God has given you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God has given you to inherit, and when he gives you what? Rest from all your enemies around, so that you live in safety. So God had already given them this promise that they were to go in and have this rest before God. Now, go back to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, and look at verse 15. Now, context you have three tribes that were on the other side of the Jordan River. That is the Gadites, uh, Manasseh. These tribes, they wanted land on the other side of the Jordan. Now, they were to go in and help conquer this land. And so Joshua is telling them, verse 15, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers. So they were to fight 
with the rest of the Israelites in order to conquer the land. They were to do that before they were to go back in and settle in the land. Let me read that again. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he is to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possessions and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. So again, there's this theme of rest that they were to um, experience. Joshua chapter 22. Joshua chapter 22, look at verse 4. Again, you'll see the same idea of rest. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he has promised them. Therefore, turn and go into your tents in the land where your possessions lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Again, there's this idea of rest. You see the same idea in Joshua chapter 23, verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord has had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years. And so this brings us to the text right here. They are in the land. God has fulfilled the promises. They are to experience and remain in that land. And so um, Joshua is commanding them. He is exhorting them. Be resolved. Serve the Lord. And he gives several commands in order for them to do that. So what I want you to see, number one, is there's an exemplary resolve here. An exemplary resolve to enter into that land. But also as a means of application, I want us to see also that there is a rest for the day. So I'm going to be in this text today, Joshua chapter 24, but I'm also going to give you a little bit more of a survey to understand that the Christian's rest is very similar, but it has eternal ramifications, okay? So first off, look at verse 14 in Joshua chapter 24, and what you're going to see are four commands that Joshua gives them. Now, I was already set up by this because the very first command is what? Fear Yahweh, or fear the Lord. Fear the covenant-keeping God. Fear the covenant-keeping God. Now, you guys talk a lot on this, so I feel like I'm already been set up for this, so this is great. <laughs> fear the Lord. And the whole idea behind fear of the Lord, and it's exactly what Pastor Travis was talking about earlier, if we have a bigger view of God, if we have a, 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 a fear of who he is, then everything else will um, have its proper place in our lives. And after all, when we are to fear the Lord, we are to fear him, number one, because he's the creator of the world. And that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God. And the Bible talks about how we are to have a fear of God. If we were to look at Proverbs 1, 7, he says, the fear of the Lord, it brings what? Knowledge. But fools, they despise wisdom and instruction. Just as this young lady over here said, well, the reason why politicians are someone who was getting sworn into the Supreme Court can't define what a woman is, it's because they don't have a fear of God. Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. We are to fear him, one, because he is creator, but we're also to fear him because he's holy. God is holy. He is not um, chummy, chummy, like just, um, I see these t-shirts, for, for instance, that says, Jesus is my homeboy. No, that's not. He's God. He's holy. And if we were to look at an example of this, this is displayed when um, Aaron's son, the priest, Nadab and Abihu, they offer strange fire, fire that was not prescribed by God to, um, yeah, they tried to offer a strange fire to God. What happens? They're struck dead. And Moses comes to Aaron and he says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. God is 
holy. But not only that, we are to fear God because God, he holds life in his hands. And I'm not talking about just this physical life. He holds eternity, the eternal life in his hands. This is exactly what Jesus says. He says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who was able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God holds life in his hands. And there are eternal consequences if we do not have a fear of God. So he says right here in this text, how are you going to be resolved? Number one, fear Yahweh. Fear Yahweh. But we can talk more about the fear of Yahweh. When we think about fear, fear is an emotion. See, but our emotions, we experience emotions by what we believe. In other words, Fear of the Lord can also be taught. The psalmist says, come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He says that in Psalm 34, verse 11. You see, how do we learn about the fear of the Lord? The more that we're in the word, the the more that we come together and hear the word of God, the more that we read the word of God, we see the character and the attributes of who God is. It teaches us that he is a God to be feared. And the more that we're knowledgeable about how great and how awesome this God is, it's going to lead to obedience. You see, the fear of the Lord, it is a necessary deterrent. It is a necessary deterrent to keep you from evil, to keep you from living a life that is contrary to the character and the qualities of who God is. Again, if we were to look at Proverbs 3.7, it says that, The fear of the Lord. He says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. He says the same thing in Proverbs 16.6. It says, in mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Again, it is a necessary deterrent. The more that we fear the Lord, or Yahweh, in in particular, when it says the Lord, it's all caps right here. That is the covenant-keeping God. We are to fear him. Now, if this is in place, it sets up everything else. And right now, we see there's an additional uh, command here. And he says, serve him. You see, if I fear Yahweh, or if I fear God, my allegiance is going to be to God. Therefore, I'm going to serve him. And another word for service is worship. It's worship. I'm going to be wholeheartedly devoted to God. So again... How are we to be resolved? Number one, we fear. Number two, we serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And when it says serve, this word serve in the book of Joshua is used about 45 times. In chapters 22 to 24, it's used about 24, 25 times. And even in just these two verses, it's used seven times. Moses in this book is um, described as the servant of the Lord 18 times. Service is a way that we worship. When I, again, when I, when I speak of service, think of worship, our allegiance, our faithfulness to the Lord. And he says that you are to serve him, but he also gives an understanding of how you are to serve. He says you are to serve him in sincerity. And this word sincerity, it means to be blameless. It's the same word that you see with the sacrificial animals. And if you know anything about the sacrificial, the sacrificial system, you are to bring uh, an offering to the Lord as a way of worship or as a means of be pleasing to the Lord. And you could not bring uh, an ox or a cattle or some goat. You could not bring it 
um, when it had some type of blemish in it because that was not acceptable to God. And I know many of you guys, you probably, for instance, like to host. You like to serve people. Someone comes to your home and you know, you're going to give them a piece of chicken, you know, and they're sitting, on the, sitting at the table. And what do you, you don't, well, hopefully you don't do this. You get that piece of chicken and it falls on the ground. And you look, well, no one's looking. So you take that piece of chicken and you dust it off. And you're like, hey, it's not acceptable, is it? It's blemished. Same idea. How much more holy and a, and a righteous God? We don't bring to God a sacrifice that is blemished in our worship we are to come to him with a sense of being blameless before him, holy before him. The same word that we see here in sincerity is used of Noah in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. It says that he was a blameless man. If you were to look at Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, Abraham, he says, walk before me and be blameless, perfect. That's what God commands. And the same idea that when we serve him, we are to be wholeheartedly devoted unblemished in our worship and our service before the Lord. But he goes on. There's even more. Not only are we to serve him in sincerity, he says, but to serve him in faithfulness. Now, this word faithfulness can also be um, the word truth. It is a word that um, when we come to God, we just don't come to God in any way. We have to come to him in a prescribed manner. Jesus, for instance, he says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we worship the Father, God, who is in heaven, we have to come through him by the means of his son, Jesus Christ. That's truth. The Bible also talks about that God is near to all who call upon him, but those who call upon him in truth. And if we're not calling upon him in truth in the name of Jesus, repenting from our sins and putting our faith in what Christ has done, we don't have a relationship with God. The only way that we're going to have that relationship is through his son, Jesus Christ. But here, in this particular context, God had given the Israelites a prescribed manner on how to worship um, Yahweh, the Lord, through the sacrificial system, through the Mosaic Covenant. He had given them a way which was to point forward for us to the new covenant. So how are we to be resolved? We are to fear the Lord. We are to serve the Lord. We are to do it in sincerity. We are to do it in faithfulness. And third, it says, put away. Put away false gods. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And again, you guys have already kind of touched on this today. When we talk about putting away false gods, it's anything that we place in ahead of God. It could be self. It can be comfort. It can be, believe it or not, your children who you're placing ahead of God. You want their approval. Or it can be a number of things. It can be a number of things. And I hope that even that as you guys are going through this study and as you're thinking about the fear of God and the awesomeness of God and you're coming to him with a sense of honesty, what's going on in your own heart. Lord, what are my idols? What are the things that I'm placing ahead of you? Because this is exactly, again, what... Joshua is commanding them. He says, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river. And then you might ask, what, what were those gods? If you were to look at Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, uh, it gives you a picture, an idea of what was kind of going on. Look at verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. So now we're talking about back in Mesopotamia, 
And he says, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. And if you guys know anything about all of the false gods and false deities that they served, they served multitudes of gods. But God had called Abraham, Abram at the time, who would later be called Abraham, father of many nations. He called him out of that. Similarly, God has done the same thing for us. We were living a life of licentiousness. We were living a life that was contrary to the character and who God was. But God had called us out. And he says, don't go back to that. Joshua was telling them, do not go back to that. And he says, you serve the gods that were beyond the river, but you also serve the gods. Look at verse 14 again. You also serve the gods. The, um, beyond the river and in Egypt. And you get it. I'm not going to go there, but if we were to look at um, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 7, it talks about goat demons. And Leviticus probably took place about a year after the Exodus, after they left. So it could have been something that they learned in Egypt. If we were to look at Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 7 and 8, God also says to the Israelites that you did not put away the false gods that you learned in Egypt. It's the same idea. And many times, unfortunately, Christians will bring in things that we've learned from the outside or because of the influences of the culture, we want to bring that in church. And instead of honoring God the way that he has prescribed, we want to do it. We want God plus this other thing. But God has said, no, my way. We are to put away those false gods. You are to put them away. And then we see there's a fourth command. And he says right here, look in verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And he says right here, choose. Now, technically, he doesn't say choose Yahweh, or he doesn't say choose the Lord. Look at the text carefully. He says, if it is evil in your eyes, or if it's disagreeable. Now, think about this for a moment. God has done all of these great things. God had parted a river so they are, parted a, uh, the Red Sea so, they think, so that they can cross. God had parted the Jordan so that they could cross. And not only that, God had wiped out the Amorites, using them as a means of destruction that he had prophesied years, like 400 years before to Abraham. He was going to wipe them out. Why? Because of their sin because of their pagan and their idolatrous practices. God said it was going to wipe them out. God was going to bring judgment on them. And believe it or not, God is going to do the same thing later when he's going to rule and reign and he's going to conquer everybody. You understand? And he says, now, considering all of the things that God has done, if it's evil in your sight, if that's disagreeable, choose. Okay? If you don't want to serve Yahweh, make up your mind and choose what God you want to serve. Now, the funny thing here, he says, now, maybe you want to choose the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. <laughs> now, think about that for a moment. God has just wiped them out. He has given them land that they can never have worked for. And why would I want to serve their gods? Why would I want to choose their gods? And Joshua said, no, don't do that. Do not do that. Again, put away the false gods. But if it's disagreeable, go live your life. Go do what you want to do. And then he'll say, then he says right here, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And there's a contrast. And it's probably one of my favorite verses. This is one of those verses that you see on a, as a plaque on the front door of a house. But as for me and this house, 
we're going to serve the Lord. When I think of me and my wife, we're going to serve the Lord. When we think about God willing future kids, we're going to serve the Lord. There's, again, that sense of resolve that this is what I'm going to do. Now, when I talk about being resolved, it's meaning I have made up in my mind, I am making a concerted effort to serve the Lord, to place him ahead of everything else. And we are to do this because, one, it's not that we chose him. Rather, he has chosen us. This is also very, very important. Now, we're all reformed. (laughs) We understand the sovereignty and the grace of God. But I do want to remind you, turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Because this, many times, we'll look at Israel and we'll say, oh, well, they had to do all of these things in order to have this relationship with God. Joshua chapter 9, verse 5. And God says, Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And what you see there is that God had already given them a promise. And I've already kind of touched on this before because when um, Abram lived beyond the river, beyond um, the Euphrates, God had called him out. God had called him out. It's very similar to when Jesus says to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask in my name, I may give you. Similarly, we understand that our relationship with God is not because of anything that I have done. It's not because of how great or how righteous I am. It's because of the sovereign grace of God, the love of God, who chose to set his love upon you and I, that we're able to have a relationship with him. And so we hear the effectual call of grace in our lives, and so we come, and we want to be obedient to the Lord. But even more, if you were to look at Joshua chapter 24, It's also descriptive of everything that God has done for them. Descriptive of everything that God has done for them. Let's look at Joshua chapter 24. Let's look at verses 1 through 12. And it says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus, the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served of the gods. But look what God has done. Then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many, and I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob... And his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. 
Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who live on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand and took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over the Jordan. It came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. You see, all of these things God had did for them. It wasn't because of their own labor. And so therefore, when Joshua starts this charge or this command in verse 14, he says, Now, therefore, because of all of the things that God has done for you, be faithful. Fear him, serve him, put away the false gods, and make sure that you do not choose those other idols and those false gods and who, who were not able to protect the, those people in the land because God had given you their land. It was all about the grace of God, the mercy of God upon their lives that allowed them to be recipients of God's grace. And how do they respond? And you see their response in verse 18. Joshua 24, verse 18. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites, who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. They responded, we will serve the Lord. And they do it two other times. And look at verse 21. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. In verse 24. He says, and the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve, and his voice we will obey. And it says in verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. You see, this was an exemplary result. This was an exemplary result in response to what God has done. However, if we were to know Israel as a nation, we know that eventually they would forfeit the land. They will be exiled. If you go immediately to the next book, the book of Judges, you see seven cycles of Israel's deepening apostasy, their rebellion against God. And because of that, God is going to use other nations to bring judgment upon them. If you were to look at the book of 1 Kings, we see a land that is going to be divided. When we look at 2 Kings, we see them being dispersed and exiled. And they're receiving a lot of um, God's chastening upon them because of their disobedience before the Lord. But yet, through all of that that went on, there was still this glimpse of rest to come. Turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. And look at chapter 7. So even through all of this, there was this glimpse of rest. And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, 
Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. So here we're seeing David. He is that conquering king, that, that one who um, had the heart of God. And God used him to quench or to quench all of those other enemies. And there's still this glimpse of rest. And then if you were to look at, um, look at verse 11. And now we're getting into what we call the Davidic covenant. And he says right here, God is using Nathan to give this prophecy. He says, from the time that I appointed you, I put, oh, I'm sorry. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Now, this is the Davidic covenant, meaning that God had given a promise to David that there was going to be someone who was going to sit on his throne forever. Again, it looks to the future. It looks to that um, one of the line of David, Jesus, who was going to be that king who was going to bring in this sense of rest. And when he talks about rest here, again, it's looking to the future. And we have to keep this in mind because what we understand about even David, as great as he was, he was a sinful man. His sin with Bathsheba, for instance. Um, we also know that he did things that were not right with God. Because of that, God had brought judgment to his house. And you see that with Absalom and Ammon and God using just chaos, even in his own family. And it carries over. And that happens because, why? He's the son of Adam. So he is not able, again, to bring them that sense of rest. But again, God is giving promises to Israel. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Look at Isaiah. Let's turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 28. I'm going to read verse 12. And it says, To whom he has said, This is rest. Give rest to the weary, and this is repose. Yet they will not hear. And God is, if you know anything about the book of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters is about the judgment of God. But then there is this hope of restoration in, verses, in chapters 40 through 66. But God, using prophets, he's saying, this is rest. In other words, be obedient. But what the prophet Isaiah is saying to them is that they were not willing to listen. In other words, because of their disobedience, because of their hardened hearts, because they were not resolved, they would not experience that rest. But again, there's this promise of future rest. Turn your Bible to Isaiah 14. Bear with me. And I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3, and this is, again, looking to the restoration. And it says, For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel, and will set them in their own land, and sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the peoples will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves. They will take captives, those who were their captors and rule over those who oppressed them. When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. So again, there's this glimpse of rest that is going to be future. 
And so I want us to understand that there is a rest or a resolve today to enter that rest. And this is important because as soon as we go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, what does Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so when we're talking about rest, we're talking about the rest from the enemies, rest for our souls. And also when I'm thinking or when I'm talking about rest, we have to think about it as a position, not as an activity. Meaning that because of my faith in Christ, I am positionally at rest in him. And if we were to look at the book of Hebrews, we see this um, idea or this theme of rest that is picked up by the author. If you can, turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And several times, the author, he picks up on this theme of rest. Now, the book of Hebrews, it's talking about the supremacy of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. He's greater than Moses, but he's also greater than the Joshua who had brought them into the land. Um, but again, the idea of rest he picks up on. Look at verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And ultimately, they could not enter rest. Why? Because of their disobedience. And now he is quoting Psalm 95. But then there are several times that he, again, he talks about rest. Look at verse 1, or Hebrews 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Look at verse 8. For if Joshua had given the people rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And this is very, very important. And this is where it kind of ties in for us who were Christians today. When we think about Joshua, in Hebrew, it's Yeshua. In Greek, it's Jesus. It's the same name. Jesus' name is Joshua, but he is the better Joshua. When we look at Joshua of the Old Testament, he was not able to give them this sense of eternal rest. It was temporary. But when we look at Jesus, he is a better Joshua, and he is able to give an eternal rest. Again, look at verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And what I also want you to understand, when we're talking about rest, there is an eschatological, or it looks to the future. All right, it's Jesus ruling and reigning, and he's conquering everybody. And we are at rest in him. There is that sense of future because we know that God's going to bring judgment. However, there is a rest that is happening today. Again, and it's positional. Look at verse 1 or 3. It says, for we who have believed enter that rest. Believe what? Believed in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. We have believed and we have turned from our sin and put our faith in Christ. Therefore, because of that, positionally, we are at rest in him today. But there are other implications when we think about being at rest in Christ. And those implications is, one, I don't have to work for my salvation. 
I know that if I sin because I'm in Christ, that I confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive me. I know that if I am in him, I don't have to try to live a life of fear of man, meaning that I have to try to win someone's approval because one, I am in rest in him. If I'm in rest in Jesus, there are so many implications and application in my life, the way that I live my life because I'm in him today. But also when we think about that Sabbath rest, it means, again, I don't have to work. I don't have to gain the approval of God, mainly because, or the only reason, because Jesus has done it all. There's rest for us today. And now I started off talking about how we are to be resolved. We are resolved because we have something that we're working towards. Again, that works in us a desire. And if I am resolved to keep honoring and worshiping the Lord, it's ultimately, or it should be, ultimately because of what Christ has done. And because I'm already at rest in him, and I also know that there's a future, so therefore I strive with the Lord by the power of his spirit. And it's not about me trying to work harder, but it's about me walking and keeping in step with the spirit of God. So yes, there is a sense of resolve, but it's not my own effort. It's a resolve based on the strength of Christ. So when we look at this text, going back to Joshua, we are resolved to enter that rest because we're in Christ. Therefore, we are to, again, fear him. We are to serve him. We are to put away the false gods. We are not to be swayed by the so-called false gods of this world. We are to have a bigger and greater view of who God is. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, we just thank you for this time. And Lord God, I do pray that we truly would just be resolved to continue to abide, God, in you, by the strength that you supply. And Lord God, that we would also know positionally that we are at rest in Christ today, meaning that we do not have to work for our salvation. We don't have to try to earn your approval. God, we are approved simply because of what Christ has done. Father, help us to live that out in the way that we live our lives today. And God, may you be honored. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.